Okay, let's make a show. <laughs> that was amazing. What a play. That's exactly what he needed. Is it getting hot in here or what? This is genius. He created another card on the stack. Oh, wow. He's been given a good game. That trophy is up for grabs. Magic does not get better than this. Everybody and welcome to Dusk After Dark, episode number two. What's up? My name is Maria Bartholdi. I'm joined by Monty Davuti, my bestie at the deskie. Sorry, I said that. <laughs> I, I apologize to myself and everybody who has ears for saying that right now. How are you doing, Monty? I am doing great. It is a sunny uh, March afternoon here in Vancouver. And, you know, it's nice to sort of reflect on the show not too long after it. I think it's been, what, two and a half weeks now since Philadelphia. And just the show is still fresh, but I've properly decompressed now and just like, hey, I'm not as exhausted from the show as I was a week ago. Oh my gosh, it is so exhausting. Like you're dead for like a good week and a half after doing one of these shows. Yeah, like I I, I was thinking maybe I'm just old, but like when I used to do pro tour trips, it was normal for me to do the pro tour and then spend a week or so vacationing or whatever, either in the city of the pro yeah. tour or after it. But it's just like doing it for work, I, I just can't like... I had a week vacation planned and half of it, I just spent sick and doing nothing like in the house. Uh, I think from now on, if I'm going to be doing things after uh, or like during a pro tour trip, it's going to be before. And then I'm going to do the trip and just come home and collapse. Cause afterwards it's just untenable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Coverage takes a lot out of you, everybody. (laughs) You leave it all on the floor uh, when you go out there and do a show, that's for sure. Well, everyone, welcome to DadCast. This is our second episode. Um, You know, you might call it the silver episode. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Who who would call it that? (laughs) (laughs) Hold on a second. That doesn't make any sense. It's like uh, the 50th anniversary (laughs) or something. It's the silver anniversary of our second show. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Pro Tour Phyrexia, which Monty said just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. Uh, We're going to give you a behind the scenes look at Magic event coverage, talk to you about what the whole uh, Pro Tour was like, what it was like being back in paper for the first time in a long time, uh, what it was like to explore the new way that we presented the Pro Tour to everybody. Because if you're watching at home, you might have noticed or you might not have that things were a little bit different in the way that the show worked because we were on a delay. And so we're going to talk about the ramifications of that. And of course, what's coming up in the future? We're also going to answer some of your questions. People send in questions for us. So thank you so much for those. And, you know, tell uh, tell a few jokes here and there. Mostly bad, as is my track record so far this episode. (laughs) Pretty bad. Uh, But let's start off with kind of the big headline from Pro Tour Phyrexia, which was that it was the first paper tournament since the fall of 2019. And Monty, for you, it was the first paper tournament that you had ever been a broadcaster for. What were your expectations going into coverage that weekend and what uh, actually happened? Well, I played some amount of pro tours of my life. So I I sort of knew what to expect being at the pro tour, albeit not from the coverage side of things. But I think the biggest thing that I was excited for was seeing players excited to play the game. I think that was a big thing that we just haven't had a big 
paper event like this. Uh, the World Championships, when we um, did the first dad cast um, after Las Vegas, it was cool. Yeah. It was great, but it was a small field. It was 32 players. So we didn't really get that full feel of the room being alive. That room was alive. It just wasn't oh, from yeah. our players. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was because we had a 10,000 person convention happening literally right outside our area. Um, yeah. But this time it really felt like we were one in a separated space. Uh, so all of the excitement um, that we were getting was from our players, but it really felt like the room was alive. The players were there. They were enjoying themselves. They were excited to battle and all of that really contributed to the vibe of things, which just felt really right. Yeah. If you weren't there in Philly, MagicCon Philly was happening on a whole different level than the Pro Tour. That was down on like the second level and the Pro Tour was up on the third level or whatever of the convention center. So we were, we were completely separated. I might have got my levels there wrong, but you understand. Uh, so we're completely separated from all of the action from people um, uh, celebrating the con. But like Monty said, that's it was just like electric in there. Um, I talked about this on Good Luck High Five and I think probably on the Pro Tour broadcast too, but you know, I was I was expecting players to be excited when they came back to get back into paper for the first time in a long time, but I wasn't ex- expecting them to be that excited. Like I saw Luis when he got called to be the feature drafter for the first draft of the Pro Tour, smiling the biggest smile I've ever seen him smile in his life. You know, like they were so stoked to be back to doing things the way that they had, uh, for a lot of them, grown up doing. Why do you think, Monty, that players were so stoked to be back in paper? Hey, part of it is just familiarity and nostalgia. It's you associate the good times of the Pro Tour and competing in the past with all of these uh staple things you know some things are replaceable some things aren't and even speaking for myself personally i really didn't think that i missed paper play as much as i did but listening to just the sounds of packs being cracked for the first draft and like a lot of times when players make their draft pick they shuffle the pack and just listening to the sounds of unsleeved cards simultaneously being shuffled around the room is the only real noise is the sound of the uh the judge that is calling the draft um it, it's like this deafening silence with one person speaking and then just cards being shuffled and that sound triggered like this internal thing for me that brought back all the memories of the pro tour i think that's just what it is is whether you grew up watching the pro tour competing in the pro tours or however your involvement with competitive magic was in the past this really brought those feelings back because the past three years and for me being involved in coverage has all been in a new world right exactly we your your time has all been um on arena with arena coverage and it's been basically all we've done for quite a few years here and like you mentioned the sound of the cards in the room somebody saying draft you have 30 seconds past you know six cards to your left was just so wonderful for me because it like just like the players it brought back all the happy memories that I had of doing coverage because I love doing coverage and I love seeing all of my friends and doing coverage with them so I immediately went out on the floor when they did the first draft down from the news desk area and just walked around and watched the players draft you know I kind of snuck a little bit of a peek at Reed to see what he was drafting I walked around and watched Ely draft for a little bit you know what I mean and you can't 
really do that on arena. It's not the same, certainly not the same vibe. That's for sure. Um, the other side of the coin, of course, was doing paper is that, um, it looks different when people are watching it at home, you know, versus arena, which has all of the information there you could ever want to see. You can see both players hands super clearly. Every action is, you know, visually stimulating to, to watch. And there's no sideboarding time. There's no uh, time where you have to shuffle your deck, all that kind of thing. The cards also harder to see different arts on them in paper, that kind of thing. What do you think about that when it comes to the presentation of a tournament in paper, Monty? It's a challenge. I think a lot of us, especially on the coverage team, we expected this to be the biggest challenge. I've been doing um, commentary for some online um, or I guess remote but paper events, whether it was the RCs uh, last season or some SCG cons. Uh, I have been doing some paper commentary and that is definitely the biggest thing is there are so many printings of cards now, so many different arts, so many yeah. different versions. And it's it's not a bad thing. I, I don't want to make it sound like a negative. I think it's excellent for um, the collectability of the game. I think it's nice to be allow, able to allow people to express themselves in uh, different ways with whatever level of shiny fanciness they want. Uh, but it makes our job on coverage harder. It definitely does. Not knowing... Yeah. Um, exactly how many printings of a card there are, what versions there are, what versions people are playing. Uh, it's tough, and I expected it to be a challenge for this event. I would say that it was certainly less of a challenge for us in the booth, uh, in the at the desk, compared to uh, the pairs in the booth who really have to discern what is happening in real time um, on the fields. But with all that said... We had a really good team around us, and between the card spotters and uh, people feeding hand information and keeping things updated in real time, it, we definitely needed them. Every single person that yes, was there was did. integral <laughs> to making sure that we could smoothly communicate what was happening. But I think given the circumstances, the overall level of information being relayed to viewers at home uh, was a lot higher than I thought it would be and sure. was quite good. Honestly, probably better than paper broadcasts in the past have been. Why do you say that? I think it's just trial and error, just knowing that uh, we need this sort of team. You can't just rely on the casters to be looking at the battlefield. You can't just be having one person um, trying to update the hand cam, having an individual person for each side and having somebody that is just behind the scenes. Um, we had Caroline Party uh, sitting behind the scenes and her entire uh, role was making sure that whatever is being spoken about, whatever is being played, is being popped up in the card viewer. Uh, whereas we've had broadcasts before where the casters were the ones responsible for putting a card up on the card viewer. If you, it's a lot, it's a you lot. remember those and you're already doing so much to focus. So every single member of that team really came together to make sure what was being put out on the broadcast was the smoothest possible. And yes, there were some hiccups with, um, the board view uh, being too zoomed out for the first day, but it, it was one of those things where Again, first paper broadcast back and through some trial and error, I think we really got it right by the end of the weekend. Yeah, for people who don't know at home, uh, behind the scenes, um, you might see this if we have a shot of the feature match area. 
for this tournament, we only had one match that was quote unquote our feature match for any round, and they were up on a big stage uh, in the convention center. In pro tours of uh, years past, paper pro tours, there had been four tables up there with three backup matches. Um, but you would see people standing around with iPads, and those are hand spotters, and they're taking a look over the players' shoulders and marking what cards they have in their hand, what cards they draw every turn, and what cards they played, as well as their life totals. And all that information is going back to the director who's then putting it out onto the broadcast for everybody to see. And that's actually where I, where I started in coverage at Pro Tour Milwaukee. That was my first job, being a hand spotter. Um, and it's a very difficult job because you are standing on your feet for hours and hours and hours at end. Uh, and sometimes the players, uh, they don't want to show you their cards. You know, they're shuffling them in their hands really quickly. Cough, Brian Kibler, cough. Uh, or, you know, they draw something and then they set it on the table and you have to awkwardly like tap them on the shoulder and ask to see it. So it's a, it's a tough job, uh, but it is a really fun one because you get to be so close to the action, right? You get to be right up there seeing the players as they make those huge plays. And in some cases, watching them win the whole tournament, which is truly a privilege to be in that position. But yeah, we have those hand spotters. And then we have people like Caroline uh, backstage who is putting those card images up on the viewer for everybody at home when somebody like Marshall mentions a card. Boom, our boreal grazer pops up on your screen. And you better believe <laughs> she kept right track card. of... <laughs> How many arboreal grazers are played? I think 19 was the count for the weekend. <laughs> she loves that card, everybody. If you're playing along at home, Caroline loves our arboreal grazer and she wants to put it up as often as possible. <laughs> and 19 times it happened, thanks to Pioneer this weekend. Um, but you mentioned something too, Monty. You mentioned um, the battlefield was rotated. How we've normally seen it on paper coverage is horizontal, but they rotated it so it looked like essentially how you would look at a game if you were playing across from somebody at FNM or indeed if you're playing on arena. And that meant that the first day of coverage, you lose some area on either side of the battlefield to the, to the right and the left. It's kind of like dead space. Nothing is happening there. And the camera was a little zoomed out and people on chat were like, hey, it's too far away. We can't see the cards. And I mean, compared to arena for all these past few years, you're, you super couldn't see them. <laughs> They zoomed in a little bit more for days two and three. But how do you personally like that view compared to the sideways view? Um, it, it's weird because I really like the point of view that we have on Arena and Magic Online, um, being a primarily online player for a long time. I like it. And when we had the new layout, if it had been zoomed in from the beginning, I... I would have been a big fan, but as it was, it seemed a little off. And I think that is something that is fixable as we saw that weekend. And as you tune it more and as you get it just right, I, I think I prefer this point of view rather than the side by side, but it is something that is jarringly different from past broadcasts. So definitely something that viewers at home need to get used to. And I think the biggest thing is just making sure that we're getting it right on the production side of things and presenting as much information, as much of the battlefield as possible, rather than having some dead space. Right. Yeah. I think for me, the dead space was kind of the biggest issue 
if we have the screen real estate, I just feel like it should be used for something. And we did have information like we had a featured card pop up or uh, the cards in hand listed during feature matches and that kind of thing. But I want to like me personally, I want to make sure every every inch of that screen space is being used as much as possible. So I, they've yet to sell me on the new view, Monty. They've yet to sell me on it. But you know what? It was tournament number one paper tournament number one we kind of started from zero again you know we're like we have to relearn how to do this we've got to figure out how to do things in a new way and while we didn't have to start the entire production team exactly from scratch there was you know an attitude of like hey we're starting over we were in arena for a long time and here we are back in paper so i can only assume we're only going up from here as far as production quality is concerned with being able to show you the battlefield and everything that's happening on it the other big change this show was the fact that I don't know if everybody noticed this at home because it was just so smooth, Monty, <laughs> is that we were on a delay. Yeah, it, it's and it, it's funny because a word tends to get thrown around a lot when it comes to magic coverage, which is pre-recorded, um, which is it's an off-putting term, I think, for anybody watching. People want to feel like they're watching something that is live, something that is exciting, something that is relevant. And pre-recorded tends to take away from that. I know certainly for me, when I hear the word, uh, I think of it as a negative. Uh, and I yeah. think a lot of people want to use it as a negative. And that's not what this show was. That, that's really not what any of our shows have been, except for the one day uh, a couple of years ago where we had a thunderstorm and oh, yeah. <laughs> things had to be broadcast the next day. But really... I almost forgot about that. That was wild. <laughs> Mother nature. Mother you know, sometimes nature. nothing you can do. <laughs> really, there there are no pre-recorded shows. It's just things that are being broadcast on a delay. And it... Sometimes the delay is primarily for competitive integrity, as we had with the online shows, is we needed this delay to make sure that, it, you know, not that any of the players would, but at least there's peace of mind that nobody is watching the broadcast while playing a feature match or anything. So there's a delay. But I think this show is when things sort of got taken to the next level. And we really did things a bit differently. Um, and we started the broadcasts on days one and two at 11 a.m. Eastern time yeah, rather yeah. than the 9 a.m. that they normally would start. And that was because we, the pro, the pro still started at 9 a.m., uh, but we recorded the draft, uh, we filmed the draft, and we uh, basically began things with match one. Um, so what would happen is we would completely remove any chance of technical issues because that's a big thing that can happen um, when it comes to the draft, both tech issues in terms of the actual tech and uh, potentially things stumbling with uh, the draft, whether it's a pod falls too far behind or the players have to stop because uh, there's a judge calling or uh, something happens, something always goes wrong. Uh, in the past, those things have held up tournaments for upwards of 30 minutes. Uh, yes, and absolutely. The production just has to roll with it. Uh, whereas now it's, we have the draft, so that's completely eliminated. Then there's no long 30-minute wait while players deck build. That's completely eliminated. So what the Pro Tour broadcast got was, all right, we're live. Hey, 
our beautiful faces. We introduce the day right into the draft. <laughs> you see the full draft. And from there, you immediately go into gameplay. Yes. Yes. It huge was change. Huge change. Huge upgrade. We, like you mentioned, if there was a problem, we didn't have to stretch at the desk. Uh, before this show, you know, I had done paper tournaments in the past with Rich at the desk and everything. And I was like, Monty, get ready. <laughs> you know, we're going to have some times up there where we're talking for 20, 30 minutes because there had been all of the feature matches have completed. We've gone through all of our content, but there's an extension that somebody has out on the floor that's made the round go 30 plus minutes past where it should have gone. And what we have to do at the desk is just tap dance essentially for that lot, a period of time. And I was like, Monty, I hope you brought your tap dance shoes because this ain't a marina no more. But that didn't happen because of the way that production approached this show. And what a wonderful change. I think it's probably the biggest innovation we've had in Magic coverage since I started watching it in 2012. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, in my opinion, it's a complete game changer. I think this show was the best production has ever been done um, for Pro Tour in terms of getting Magic to the people. Uh, there was definitely a lot of hesitation um, from... The community when they found out that we were starting the show two hours after the actual uh, pro tour had started there was um i think very reasonable doubts about how it would play out but once people saw the finished product and they saw the fact that they got to watch a draft and they immediately go into gameplay and then continue going into gameplay there's no long breaks for nope. uh getting things reset there's no you lunch break there's nothing the whole day we're playing catch-up but we're playing catch-up through buffer times that would previously cause the tournament broadcast to feel slow and sluggish and hey all right well time to watch this insane amount of filler content because we <laughs> literally don't have magic to show you and everything just played out really better than i think any of us could have even imagined uh on the coverage team it was smooth it was fast there was magic all the time uh i i know that i personally just felt like we had so little downtime and it was yeah, awesome totally it, totally there was no filler it was okay well let's move on to the next thing and we have magic to show people let's get right back to it and i i think for the majority of the doubters and uh, those who weren't quite sure about it, it, the show really pulled through and proved that this was the right way to do things. Yes, I 100% agree. Um, the fact that we're not watching players take their mulligans and shuffle cuts up like sometimes as much as 10 plus minutes out of a single match because that can take a long time, especially at the pro tour level, right? You want to make sure you're properly shuffling your deck, shuffling your opponent's deck, all that kind of stuff. And if you have, you know, two or three mulligans, well, that time adds up, certainly. And I know I was listening to, you know, Marshall and Paul talk about it and they were like, normally <laughs> that's when we have our long chats about basically. <laughs> Basically nothing while we're waiting for the players to get ready. And we just cut out all of that fat and just got to the gameplay. So I'm super excited to see where coverage goes from here. I cannot wait to see how we're doing things by the time the World Championships roll around at the end of the year. Because with three shows of testing and tuning the system, I, I think that's going to be really special. And I think this is... 
probably by the end of it. I, I'm being ambitious. I think this All is right. going to be the best year of magic coverage that there's ever been. All right. I love that. I'm here for that. And you're absolutely right. It totally could. There's no reason it couldn't be. There is no reason it couldn't be. Um, let's talk about the tournament itself, which was a draft and Pioneer for the first time, Pioneer at a pro tour, which before we hit the pandemic, Pioneer was like on in this little airplane, ready to take off here. It's going into the air. And then it was like crash land during the pandemic. Uh, but we got we got it back on the big stage here. What was your big takeaway uh, about Pioneer seeing it uh, at a Pro Tour for the first time? So it was interesting because going into the Pro Tour, there was some doubt of well, I, not doubt. There was two ways Pioneer could really go. Uh, what we had seen from the regional championships leading up to it was that the format was pretty diverse, but there were definitely some dominant decks at the top in terms of field representation. And we could go the way we've seen Pro Tours go in the past, where a lot of players decide this is the best deck and we're going to play it. And suddenly we have a deck that is 30% of the field, 25% of the field. Uh, and we're seeing a ton of it. Uh, even if that deck doesn't always perform the best, it is the most played deck. The other way was Pioneer would persist as it had, which was the general consensus was anything is playable to a reasonable extent of Pioneer. And what's most important is knowing your deck well. And up to that point, that had led to really diverse fields. And fortunately, that's what we got at the Pro Tour was no deck was more than 15% of the field. There were a lot of decks. They had different strategies. It wasn't, all right, well, now we have seven different flavors of mid-range or is it with like a third color added on they were truly different decks with different game plans diverse strategies and there were a lot of them and that made it so it was really exciting to watch first of all just because absolutely there was so much there were six different decks archetypes in the top eight which is always good to see but also just speaking from my role on the broadcast I'm the desk expert, right? So each right. round, I set up the match that we're about to watch by analyzing the two deck lists and talking about them. And something that I like to try to do is to try to make sure that with each analysis, I'm giving something a little different. I'm uh, trying to add on to it for people that have been watching all day. So they're not just hearing the same words over and over again. But when I'm doing my eighth analysis of Rakdos Sacrifice, <laughs> as we have done in some broadcasts yeah, in the past, you run out of things yeah. to say. There, there's only so much you can say about the deck, uh, especially when you're doing matchups over and over, uh, mirror matches over and over again, or mm -hmm, the same matches mm -hmm. over and over. It, it can get stale. And for this show, something that I definitely found was I was never struggling to find new things to say about the matchups because we weren't doing the same two decks or even the same one deck too frequently. It was continuously different. And I was continuously seeing new things. And for me personally, that was just a breath of fresh air of having this diverse of a field to work with. And it made my job a lot easier and a lot more fun. Yeah, for sure. I was certainly breathing a huge sigh of relief when I saw the Pioneer metagame come in because it felt like at some shows... We would have a metagame like you like you mentioned, where a deck one deck is extremely dominant, and that in another format 
the metagame is looking great, right? And then you're just like, oh, dang it. Why didn't we do standard this show? Or, oh, no, we should have been on modern. And it just felt like a few of our tournaments, we were just off by which format was like the cool one to be showcasing at the moment. And of course, that's like almost impossible to predict ahead of time when you need to set the format months out in advance. You just don't know what's going to happen. So it's nobody's fault, really. But uh, it's just like too bad. <laughs> you yeah. get there and you're like, well, you know, we still are going to have a good tournament, but it's always way more exciting when you have a diverse metagame um for you what was the most exciting deck that you saw come out of pioneer uh exciting is you know different ways to define it i think <laughs> it was really cool to see auras do as well as it did uh oh Monty, you know that's the right <laughs> answer you know what to a say a little bit of pandering <laughs> just because i don't think anybody expected auras to do as well as it did it was one of those decks that was sort of on the fringes of the format on the outside looking in where it, you know i can name seven decks and auras would probably not be one of them. So seeing auras do well uh, was definitely something that was exciting for me. But at the same time, I personally loved seeing Is a Creativity do well because I was watching this team's testing of it and watching their process come together and watching Mike Sigrist champion for we should pay more attention to this deck. We should spend more time on it. And then seeing two players make the top eight with it and seeing that testing pay off uh, and seeing, of course, Reed take the whole thing down with it, it, it. That's something that I really enjoyed was watching this storyline sort of unfold. And the deck is cool. The deck is a, a one-two combo deck that just like one-two punch that has a lot more play to it. And that's always awesome to see. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit, because I don't know if a lot of people at home know how that works um, with you uh, kind of looking behind the scenes during a testing team, in this case, Channel Fireball's process on picking a deck for the weekend. Yeah, so typically I, as the expert, I need to learn the format uh quote unquote inside and out. And that's really hard to do just by playing individual games of magic there's a lot of decks and there's a lot of matchups and it's tough to get through it all uh so what i and most of the other experts Corey, paul uh do is we ask different teams to join their testing discords and watch their processes sometimes we only join one discord and actively participate play decks ourselves and be a part of the team uh sometimes we join multiple discords where you know because of uh tournament ethics, integrity tournament integrity <laughs> yeah. we don't participate in the testing because we don't want to accidentally share one team's ideas with another uh we're just observers and we see the matches that are being played we watch the data as it comes in each team of course has a different process but speaking for channel fireball it's very organized there's multiple spreadsheets that have hundreds of games of data logged in for different matchups and it's an organized process where as things start winding down you get more people playing the same deck just in different matchups to really try to cement things and the testing pays off you absolutely see the testing pay off uh through the results over the past few events and it, it's cool as an expert to be part of that process and see it come together because it really gives you an extra level of insight as to how players approached 
preparing for the tournament. What was the most surprising thing that you witnessed in the Channel Fireball testing discourse? The most surprising thing for me, and I think a lot of us, was at some point during the draft process, I see people start championing for blue-black as a potential good archetype when a lot of us thought it was really bad uh in the draft because they do prepare draft as well so uh, there was one point where i saw multiple posts start coming in about okay we should be considering blue black more especially because it might be open with other people ignoring it and this is how you should be drafting the deck not like this and uh, i found that really surprising but it was also really cool um to see different approaches coming in uh from these guys And of course, like you mentioned, member of Channel Fireball took the whole thing down. Reed Duke, his first time winning a pro tour, despite being in the Hall of Fame already and being uh, an extremely well-loved magic personality, didn't have like an individual pro tour win under his belt. What was it like for you to see Reed win the tournament? It's fantastic. Um, Reed and I are friends. Uh, I have played a PTQ, a team PTQ with Reed before. Um, oh, you did? Yeah, at <laughs> I think Grand Prix Toronto uh, many years ago. I want to say Dominaria, but I don't exactly remember. Um And seeing Reed take down a tournament is, of course, huge because I know how much it means to him. But it's also just, it's cool to see somebody that almost all of the community, you know, nobody's universally loved, but Reed is as close as it gets. He's as close as anybody's ever going to get. (laughs) I feel confident saying that. It's watching the entire community rally behind and be happy for somebody to accomplish something is just a wonderful thing to witness. Uh, And Reed is one of the greatest to have ever played the game, both on and off the battlefield, just extremely sportsmanlike uh, and just a really kind person so watching him finally get that win was really cool especially because there is you know this mirror storyline of how he had come second in the world championship many years ago playing (laughs) uh the auras deck boggles at the time and losing to shahar in the finals and then facing off against boggles again here in the finals uh almost like the final hurdle to clear it was it very poetic in a way. So it was cool to watch that come to fruition. Absolutely. Uh, I've done a lot of uh, casting with Reed in the booth when I did a play-by-play. Reed was my expert for a number of uh, GPs that we did back in the day. And I always had such a fabulous time working with him because he's just like, he's just the nicest guy and um, always ready to go on a random tangent. Like when we're watching people do <laughs> their, do their mulligans and shuffle their decks, talking about nerdy things. Um, <laughs> uh, and he's one of those people who, you know, at one point I was like, I made a quiz about about cards and modern do you want to do you want to take it and he was like absolutely give me your quiz and then <laughs> i had like the most obscure questions monty like nobody would get these questions i had 20 questions that were just extremely difficult it was for a video we were doing at a grand prix and reed only got one wrong you know what i mean <laughs> like <laughs> first of all he is a player who was like yes absolutely i'll take your quiz no hesitation and two only getting one wrong so i think those <laughs> those are the two ways that i illustrate Reed just being an extremely nice and accommodating human being and also knowing literally everything about Magic the Gathering because
because it has been his life for his entire life. Uh, so super, super wonderful to see him win the whole thing. Um, looking ahead to Pioneer, do you think this is a format people are going to be interested in playing? I mean, it was everyone seemed really excited for it when it first hit the scene before COVID. Um, what do you think right now? I, I think so. I think it's... I think competitive magic is in an interesting place right now because we're going back towards a almost seasonal feel where all the uh, RCQs are going to be um, a uniform format for a season uh, to match the format of the RC. uh, And then that format of the RC is going to match the format of the Pro Tour. So we're going to see storylines develop, but that's also going to mean that outside of the format of the season the other formats are going to fall by the wayside uh, a little bit fortunately magic online is always there and with challenges and showcases and the magic online champions showcase um, being something to strive for the format will continue seeing play and evolving and having uh, innovations built into it but I think it's going to be one of those things where Pioneer is going to probably be relatively quiet for the next few months as we go through the standard season. The standard RCs are already underway, but until then, things are going to be a little quiet. Um, speaking of what's coming up next, you mentioned standard. We're here in the regional championships and standard is the name of the game because that's going to be what's happening at pro tour Minneapolis, which is coming up next the first weekend in May, my hometown. So excited to have a hometown (laughs) pro tour again. We had this for the 25th anniversary and it was awesome. I take everybody to my favorite restaurants. I force them to do all the cool things that Minneapolis has to offer. So like one, Um, one. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now I just have to prove you wrong. No big deal. Uh, (laughs) So I'm, and of course I get to sleep in my own bed and then come into work, which is just like the The level, the, the, the upgrade is just infinite, just infinite. Um, so I'm super, super stoked and I'm excited for standard because of these recent RCs, you know, we looked at the data on good luck high five and we were like, holy cow, like different decks won each three of these and they're all really cool decks. So I'm super stoked. Is there a deck in standard you like right now, Moni? Uh, I really like the toxic deck, um, that Ray Sato yes. won the Japanese RC with. All I right, think that deck looks go. really cool. Of course, I'm a huge fan of Grixis, uh, as it has developed, but it's sort of the big bad of the format. So seeing uh, the variety that is popping up across the regions, seeing the Atraxa decks, the Reanimator decks start uh, being put together. Standard looks like it's in a really good place, um, and it looks like a blast to play, which is awesome uh, for us, certainly. Just being able to watch the format and watch fun games is cool. But I think this is definitely something that I'm enjoying about the current format, is seeing the storylines that sort of develop from the regional championship to the Pro Tour, uh, seeing how the format evolves over the course of the couple of months that it takes from RCs to the PT, it is cool to see. It is something that I, I really felt like was lacking before the regional championship 
system because uh, people were just qualifying through random store events and Magic Online and Magic Arena. Uh, it felt like it was a lot more segmented. And now it feels like there's very much a focused competitive scene and there's storylines to follow and there's evolutions to follow. And I think that's better for creating content. I think it's better for consuming content and data. And I think it's just great for the players to be able to continue adapting strategies and mastering decks. And I, I think it's just all really playing out well right now. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm also all in on this poison deck. Everybody, if you haven't tried it, it is so fun. If you like attacking at all, and it's just so interesting. It works on a different axis. I went off about this on Good Luck High Five, so I'll spare you right now. But I love this deck, everybody. Check out Ray Sato's poison deck. It's awesome. But Minneapolis isn't even the next event that we have coming up. Before that, we have we turn back to digital coverage. We've got the second Arena Championships, Monty. Yeah, that's really exciting. The Arena Championships. Uh, one, these events are really hard to get to. I don't know if people know this, but these events are <laughs> absolutely brutal to get to, which makes sense because they're 32 person fields with a $200,000 prize pool. So the yeah, EV huge. on these tournaments is absolutely insane. There's world championship slots on the line, but also these fields are just absolutely stacked i was looking at the list of people qualified for this upcoming rc and it's just yuki chikawa and uh benton madsen this was the event we were talking about him qualifying on his phone for the pro tour well this was right. the event that he qualified for that also got him the invite uh for the pt that he just came second in but jan morris merkel modiquisma simon nielsen like looking Absolutely. at the andre strasky i don't know if anyone's heard of him yuta takahashi <laughs> it, it, looking Who? yeah looking at these players there's a very stacked field, which means that what we're going to see is a 32-person tournament that is just full of absolute crushers. I'm, I'm excited for this, everybody. Uh, you've got to check it out uh, on Twitch the weekend of the 18th. Uh, the Arena Championship 2, Historic and Draft. Super excited. Stacked field, cool formats, um, and <laughs> a lot on the line. Let's pivot now to do some Q&A, Monty. What do you say? Let's do it. Okay. Give the people so what they want. Give, give the people what they want. We've got questions that you sent in, and uh, we're going to do our best to answer them right now. I love this question. Okay, here we go. Is there any information or timing stuff you wish you could have on coverage that you don't? Even impossible things like, I wish we could have matchup interviews before every matchup with both players or anything like that. What information would make coverage cooler or more interesting for you, Mani? Uh, I really love data. I think that's, I, I am a huge data nerd. So anything that we could have going into a match, whether it's players head-to-head -head stats against each other, players win percentages with their deck in testing. Like These are things that are nearly impossible to gather, but it's things that would be so cool to have access to. Um, it, it would be awesome to have players talk about or have laid out what they think a certain matchup looks like, what they think their expectations of a match will go. These are all things they, you know, it's hard to put together, but I, it, for me as a viewer, that would, yeah, that yeah. would spice up the broadcast, being able to just see things analyzed on a much deeper level. I think that I would love to see that. 
And of course, my answer is always going to go towards the overall production view of things. You know, they took our crane away, Monty. They took our crane away for the show. And I got to say, I miss the crane shots. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a production background person. So that's what I'm always thinking about. Um, we didn't get as we didn't get to have player face cams on our backup matches. That kind of, you know, like that kind of just little things that add that extra spice in there for you. And I know it's not information <laughs> or data driven, my answer. But I also love um, the pieces that we used to be able to do at the Pro Tour, which were, to be fair, because for the purpose of killing time, because we had a lot of time to fill, where we visited the players' testing houses. Sometimes we explored the town. We had interviews. We did crack-a-packs with players around the hall, that kind of stuff. I actually really loved those kinds of videos. Um, I thought they gave a nice texture to the broadcast to kind of pepper them in here and there. And I think that as we progress forward with a new model that gives you the ability to show more magic more consistently that you don't really lose anything by adding a little bit of flavor and some paprika on top here and there <laughs> throughout the show. So uh, my personal hope is that we can add a little bit more of that personal touch to humanize the players a little bit more, get you to know them back at home. If you don't already get to understand why this matters to them so much that I would be an advocate for adding back in more of that if possible. So that's my answer, that question coming from <laughs> Judge Rob. So thank you, Judge Rob, for that question. Um, we also have a question from somebody who says they're just starting their casting journey and having a great time. What tips do you have to level up your casting game? What advice would you give yourself when you started? Mani. Uh, the biggest thing I would say, and this is something that I have always done, so I am um, definitely a huge advocate for, is... Go back and watch your casts. I think that is the biggest thing that really helped me um, as somebody who can be both overly critical of myself and also analytical is once you finish a cast, give it you know a day or two um, or however long you need, but sometime where the cast is still somewhat fresh in your mind uh, and take the opportunity to make carve out some time and go back and watch the broadcast, watch the work you did as from the point of view of a spectator, from an outsider, and see how you did. Did you make good points? Was there things you missed? Was there things that you went too long on? And as you do this, as you look at your own broadcasts and uh, look at them uh, from an analytical point of view, you know how to touch things up. You get to find the leaks in your cast. You get to find the weaknesses and your strengths, more importantly, not just to be critical of yourself, but also to say, okay, this is what I'm good at. This is right. where I feel like I really did something well because coverage like any sort of uh, niche where there's more people wanting to do it than there are opportunities. It's important to understand your strengths and understand what you're bringing to the table that no one else is or not enough other people are. So by understanding your strengths and understanding this is where I excel and improving and building upon that, you can really give yourself a chance to bring something unique and excel at what you do. And that's how you can become noticed and get more opportunities and try to become uh, an established caster for lack of a better term. Yeah, I think I I 100% agree with what Monty said. And that's what I would always say too, which in my way of saying it is quote, what's your deal? <laughs> you know, what is your deal? Why, why you, right? 
Why should somebody watch you? What are you bringing to the table? Like Mani said that nobody else is or very few other people are. So find out what is unique about you and your style and what you're offering viewers and then highlight that in what you do for people when you go on camera. Um, and hopefully you'll be able to use that to get yourself to a place where you can relax, feel comfortable talking to people, talking to your castmates, uh, so that you are the most you version of you <laughs> that you can be, because that's, I mean, in the end, that's what you're selling people is who you are. And if you can't accurately say, this is why I'm valuable. And this is the new and different and exciting thing that I'm bringing, then why should somebody hire you? You know what I mean? So uh, yeah, identify what's great about yourself and then push that forward. Watch yourself, give yourself critiques and, and work on honing that is what I would say too. Um, this question is from the Good Luck High Five Discord. Uh, this is kind of a hard question to phrase, but much of pro magic is fairly male dominated. How has your experience, Maria, as a non-male part of the coverage team been? <laughs> I'll just put you that in there. You want me to take this one? <laughs> Monty, this one's for you. I'm going to ask you a version of this, Monty, after this, okay? okay. I'll give you your own version. All right, all right. I know that this can be a loaded question, but I'm super curious. I was so happy to see someone who wasn't a man having such a big role in coverage. Thank you for this question and for your comment. Um, yeah, so I've been doing this now um, for I don't know how long, six years, maybe a little bit more than that. And I see it as like the most uh, enormous privilege to be able to do the job that I do. And I certainly was not the first one, of course, uh, in coverage, there are people like Jackie Lee, Melissa DeTore, Gabby Sparts, who were all part of coverage before I was. So a uh, big thank you to them for kind of <laughs> parting those waves, as it were, of the sea to get uh, more women in coverage. And I did advocate for, for it a lot back in the day, which I talked about actually on the first episode of DadCast. In case you missed that, I talk about that. Um, and at first, you know, it was pretty nerve wracking <laughs> being one of the few... Um, uh, non-male members of the broadcast team because you do have to prove yourself, you know, kind of twice as hard <laughs> and you have to be maybe in some cases twice as good. You can't fail. You can't screw up because when you do, you feel like you are taking the failure of your entire gender. <laughs> you know, like you're up there, you're like, well, I better represent every single woman that exists on the planet Earth. And if I don't, I've failed them all. So you have quite a, quite a heavy weight on your shoulders and you feel like you have to prove to yourself and to everybody else that you deserve to be there. But that being said, like I had such a huge support team behind me when I got uh, onto coverage that it was really wonderful. Like Rich, really Rich Hagen really welcomed me with open arms, taught me how to work the news desk. Uh, he's absolutely fantastic at it. Of course, as you all probably know, and he really championed for me too. And that, I think, having a mentor who is willing to do that and go out on a limb for you and say, yes, I like this person, they are good at it, and I believe in them for future shows is so incredibly huge and important. Brian David Marshall was the same with me. Uh, BDM was uh, a huge supporter and, uh, of course, nowadays a huge friend. And Marshall, um, all of them really had my back. And <laughs> I can't thank them enough for their support uh, and being a new member to the team, because I was kind of the newbie, but also being one of the few non-male people there was just, it was just absolutely, absolutely huge. Um, and nowadays, I feel really comfortable in my role. You know, I worked with the, with the team a lot, and um, they're all such wonderful people who support me, and hopefully I support them too. And I get a lot of strength from just doing a lot of shows and becoming more confident every time that I do them, and being like, hey, 
I know how to do this. I hope that I'm at least marginally good at this. And I feel like I can do it to a level that I'm happy with when I am done with the show. And that gives me confidence to move forward, right? If I feel like I have done a job where I really prepared, I try to overly prepare every show. I've talked about that in the last episode of the show as well, that I try to be incredibly prepared so I'm ready for anything so that I can be as unimpeachable as possible, not just to the viewers, but to myself, right? Because we're all our own harshest critics. And so if I can say, you know what, I went up there and I and I crushed as hard as I could have, well then, you know, if you can do it better than me, show me, right? So <laughs> that's where I get the confidence now <laughs> is, is from that place. And um, so I feel really happy and at home in my job now. And I, and I thank everybody who helped get me there and everybody who supports me now too. Mani, you're one of our newer coverage members, so this is how I'm going to turn the question on you. How do you feel your reception and journey into coverage has been? Uh, good, I think. Um, it's you know something that definitely meant a lot to me when I was starting out. Um, I didn't know if I belonged there. I didn't know if I... Because I felt things progressed really quickly for me where I sort of went from just doing casting and covering my own events and working for myself to uh, making it to the Pro Tour broadcast or the equivalent of the time um, over the span of a short few months. And it felt like it was progressing too quickly. And I was continuously worried that my professionalism, my level of casting, my analysis, whatever it may be, wasn't quite up to snuff um, for that level of tournament, that level of prestige. And something that really helped me at the time just sort of, I guess, assure myself and fight the imposter syndrome was just hearing kind words from players that I respected, players that I had uh, grown up watching play Magic, people who I had met through competing at Magic, uh, people who I'd watched do, do coverage, um, players like Reed Duke and LSV um, sending me messages, um, letting me know that they enjoyed what I had done in a broadcast. Seeing that was uh, really reassuring for me because they the way they did coverage and the way they have played the game um, spoke to me as a player, as a competitive player. And they were the type of people who I wanted my coverage to be good for. I, you know, when you're doing coverage, I think it is easy to target it towards one group, but it's really hard to do coverage that, it appeals to both the enfranchised viewers and the newer viewers. It's tough to do it both ways where you have analysis that is easily digestible. And to see both a generally positive feedback to what I was doing and uh, from the best of the game, it just made me feel like I was doing something right. And that was all I could have asked for. Well said. Um, we're all so happy to have you, Mani. Um, and like just talking about people like <laughs> giving us giving us encouragement, you know, you might think like it doesn't mean a lot if you tweet at somebody, you're like, hey, I really liked your coverage this weekend or you did a great job or whatever. It's huge for any of us. I think I can speak for everybody that it means so much to us when the community reaches out and lets us know how we're doing um, 
on Twitter, on Discord, whatever. Uh, it's just always the makes our day whenever anybody says anything because, yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it for you. And we can't be everything to everybody, but we'll try to be as much to as many people as possible. <laughs> Let me put it that way. <laughs> and if you have constructive feedback, please, we, we yes, want to hear absolutely. that as well, because I, I can only speak for myself, but I, I think it's safe to say that everybody uh, on the Cassie team is constantly looking for ways to improve and be the best at what they're doing. So uh, I know that I've certainly um, gotten constructive feedback in the past that I've used to improve my casting and uh, take it into consideration. And it's made me a better um, caster and a better broadcaster in what I do. So that's sort of the flip side of it as well is if there's something that you don't like and you have a good way of saying it, because that's the big thing is, you know, don't, don't be, <laughs> don't be a jerk about it. But if you have a good way of saying it, I, I want to hear it. I, I want to do better. I want to yes, put out a same. product that everybody enjoys if possible. Yeah, absolutely. I remember one time, um, this isn't for the community, but Rich is like, if you throw to somebody and say our very own and then insert their name, whoever I'm throwing to one more time. <laughs> like, it's just like little notes like that. I was like, no, our very own Brian David Marshall. I probably did that like a hundred times. And he was like, just stop. You can't. Even little vocal tics like that. <laughs> really helpful to know because lots of times you don't notice some of the things that you're doing. <laughs> But yes, we love hearing from the community all the time. And in fact, we ask you for more questions for Desk After Dark, our next episode. You can tweet at myself or Moni uh, or put them in the Good Luck High Five Discord mailbag uh, section and let us know anything you have questions about and we'll answer them on our next show. Moni, as we wind down this episode of DadCast, what are you most excited about in Magic right now? Uh currently I am excited for Standard. I am excited because the last round of the regional championships showed that because they are spread out over multiple weeks, uh, we're just going to see the format develop. So I'm excited to see where the format goes this weekend uh, and where it builds to leading up to the... I, you know, it's weird to put a focus on a singular region, but the DreamHack uh, regional mm -hmm. championship is likely going to be the biggest in the world. Um, I think the last one was somewhere like 900 players. It's going to be a two-day event. It's going to be absolutely insane. And I think because this time especially, it's closer to the end of the season and one of the last RCs, all eyes are going to be on that for how the format has developed over weeks of play. So Standard is definitely right now the most exciting for, thing for me and i'm glad that i get to just sit back and watch it play out as i learn it and understand it better to uh prepare myself to do coverage for some of those rcs yeah me too standard is in a really really exciting place right now with tons of fun decks so i hope you all at home go and check it out if you haven't or haven't been playing it already um Looking forward to seeing you in Minneapolis, Monty, and virtually at Arena Championship 2. So I hope everybody out there tunes in to watch those events and tunes in for our next episode of DadCast number three after our next big tournament. Thank you so much for li listening, everybody. Okay, that's all I got to say, Monty. You want to say bye? All right. Get those questions in and we will cover them on DadCast number three. Until then. <laughs> the bronze anniversary. <laughs> That was amazing. What a play. That's exactly what he needed. Ooh, is it getting hot in here or what? This is genius. He created another card on the stack. Oh, wow. He's been what giving a good game. That 
trophies up for grabs. Magic does not get better than this.